Well, we're really glad that you're here with us. We've been having a conversation over the last four weeks now, I think, called You Are What You Love, which is why we have these, these hearts up here. We're talking about our hearts. We're having a very intentional conversation about what is happening in our hearts. Um, and I want to just give you a really very brief kind of overview, review of what we've been talking about so that it kind of teases up for where we're going today. The, the overarching thought that we have is what is in our hearts is going to most deeply impact our lives. Sometimes we want to believe that what we think and our intellect is going to most deeply impact our lives, but that's not what studies show. Studies show that what people love, what they care about, what they desire, what they most deeply care about is what impacts how they live and what they do with their life, not their intellectual thoughts or beliefs or, or agreements. So to review, we've been talking about how... Uh, what that means, and then we talked about doing an audit of our hearts. And I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hand, but what I did is I gave a lot of questions to you. And I said, let's be honest about what's really going on in our hearts. And so if you didn't get a chance to do that yet, let me know. We'll get you a copy of that. But that is kind of the first question. What do we already love? What is that gut reaction, those gut feelings that we have? And then we spent a couple weeks on a topic that's not always everyone's favorite to talk about, but is really important, and that's the topic of fear. The idea that when you do an audit of your heart, when you ask what's going on inside, a lot of us, if we're honest, would say there's a lot of fear. Perhaps right now in our world, in our lives more than ever, there's fear that is taking over, paralyzing people's hearts. And so we spent the last two weeks talking about that. If you didn't hear that, it's online at millcitychurch.com. And uh, now here we are, and I want to take this turn for the next two weeks in this conversation to say, if we want to calibrate our hearts towards the things that God loves, what, what does that look like? What does it look like for us to, to have heart-shaping activities and rhythms and routines in our life that calibrate our hearts towards the things of God rather than calibrating our hearts towards pretty much any other thing that's not really what God would hope for us? So that's where we're going today. So will you pray with me before we look into God's word together? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for your leadership over this last few weeks that we've been having these uh, very intentional conversations about what's going on inside of us. And we recognize that this is a vulnerable thing to do, that it takes a significant uh, commitment of surrender to you to have these conversations. It takes a lot of trust in you, God, and, and also trust in community. And so, God, I pray that this would be a space where we can feel safe to be honest with you, with each other. God, I pray that we would be changed because of what you want to teach us through your word today. And as we do every week, God, we just want to thank you for this school. God, I thank you for Sheridan and for their hospitality, for the ways that they've opened up this space to us. But God, as there's uh, teachers and faculty and staff taking vacations right now, trying to, to get some energy back as they look into the fall, God, we pray that you'd be with them, and we pray that you'd be with all the kids as they are um, experiencing their summer in very different ways. God, you know them, you see them, you love them. And we ask that you would bless them and be with them in Jesus' name. We pray all this. Amen. Okay, so question. If you didn't answer the question during the community time, think about it now. And the question was, what is something you do every day? All right, so think about that for a second. I've asked people this question before, and when I do, I find that people answer in some different categories. So I want you to tell me by a show of hands, which category would, would you, when, what do you think about? What are some of the things you think about? When you think about what you do every day. So the first category I've noticed is uh, kind of a category of entertainment or some sort of taking in of information. So they, listening to the radio every day or watching TV every day or some sort of thing like that. Who, who notices they do something like that every day? A few of you. Okay. 
How about when you ask this question, you think of some sort of food or beverage? And how many of you, is it coffee? Every day I drink coffee. Right, so it's like every day I drink coffee or I, I just, I love chocolate or I don't know, whatever it is. A lot of people would say every day I have this thing. Okay, so how about um, something social, something having to do with your family or your kids? Every day I change diapers or something like that. How many people thought of something about social thing? Every day I talk to a friend. Every day social things? It's that, that is interesting. That's not what comes to people's minds when they think about what they do every day. How about you thought right away of something having to do with hygiene? Yes, I knew that would be the most people. Isn't that strange that when you ask somebody what they do every single day, we all think of hygiene? I just think it's funny. And I, I figured that was going to be good. I guess I would, I would be happy as a human, as a fellow human, that hygiene is something that most of us do every day. I think that's good, um, I guess. And I think a lot of us would say that our uh, deepest held habits, meaning the things that we do almost without thinking, like we grab the toothbrush or whatever, are hygiene-related things. Just fascinating observation. So we realize, and I think it's because uh, the consequences of doing the hygiene or not are pretty obvious, right? So if you shower every day or about every day, you know, you're going to have very different results in your life than people who don't shower very much, right? This is not a pop quiz or anything. This is just, so if you, if you shower, the outcome's going to be different. If you don't shower every day, different outcomes, right? So it's very clear. So I think this is why this become habits. Um, everybody has these routines that then become habits. So I, I think that most of us hopefully shower every day or two if you don't. We can start a little, like, group to talk about that or something, but hopefully that's true for you. So here, here is a pop quiz. This is something that, that people are told all the time that they should do every day, but I think the statistic is that only one-third of adults actually do it. Does anybody know what hygiene-related activity everyone's told they're supposed to do every day, but only one-third of people do it? Everybody knew it's flossing. Because some of you are like, it's me. I don't floss. I don't do that. And I'm not going to ask anybody to do any true confessions, but I will confess, vulnerability here, I will confess that I struggle to floss every day. I really do. I'm a part of the two-thirds of Americans that have a hard time flossing every single day. I know that it's something I'm supposed to do. I, I get it. But 20% of our country of adults don't even floss ever, okay? 20% never, and two-thirds very rarely. So I'm in the two-thirds that are trying to get this to be a habit. And it's really hard for me, and I struggle, even though I read like blog posts that say things like, seven terrifying things that happen to you if you don't floss. Or like, like 11 horribly gross things that happen to people who don't floss every day. Have you seen these? This is viral. They go viral. And I read them, but I still have a problem. And so I, I want to just publicly confess that I'm on a mission to figure out how to become a regular flosser. I've gotten like the little like flossers with the little handle and the velociraptors that are like shaped like a little um, dinosaur velociraptors, anybody? And then it just makes you want to want to grab them because it's cool. It's a velociraptor. And I even got like a, a water flosser. Does anybody have a water flosser? You have a water flosser, Anna? Yeah, so it's like shoots water in between your teeth to floss them. So I'm committed, you guys. Like I'm committed to not continue to go to the dentist every six months and get shamed. You know, like they've got their fingers in your mouth and they're shaming you. It's horrible. And so I'm committed. I'm going to do that. The struggle is real. And if any of you know that the struggle is real, two-thirds of you do. 
I'm not going to ask you to confess it, but you're with me on this, and I really need everybody to not pretend I'm the only one up here with flossing issues, so we're going to work on it together. And in all seriousness, the thing about flossing is, and what I think the dentists are trying to get us to understand and the people who write the blogs, is that it seems insignificant on a daily basis, doesn't it? It seems kind of irrelevant whether or not I grab the Velociraptor or not, but the long-term difference between whether or not I floss regularly or not is pretty significant. We're talking like chronic gum disease significant. Like this is a very significant difference. Whether or not you do this one thing every day is going to have very different outcomes. And I think an approach that some of us want to have, and I've noticed this about us as a group and myself as well, is that I want to, uh, when it comes to results that I want in my life, when it comes to outcomes and like maybe changes I want to make, I want it to come from like one single event or like one big decision and then things are going to change or then I'm going to get the outcome that I want. This idea that it's like an everyday bit-by-bit decision thing is kind of annoying to me, frankly. Like that's actually just, I'd rather it would be something big. Like every six months, I go in and have a professional clean my teeth. That's good, right? Like why do we have to do the everyday thing? And this, I think, is actually a, a perspective that we tend to have towards a lot of things in life. Like it'd be easier if it was just one big event or just twice a year or just this one thing we needed to do, but when it actually comes to the deepest outcomes of our life, when it comes to actually, as we've been talking about this, our hearts and how our hearts are turning towards various things, turning towards God or not, I actually think it has everything to do with our daily habits, our daily routines, our daily practices, and the outcomes that those lead to. And actually has very little to do with the large event or the significant moment in which we might have some sort of commitment to something or something like that. I think that most of the significant things that happen in our world, there's very many significant things that you can see in the news all the time. Some of them are great. Right now, most of them seem really, really not great, right? Really difficult things. But most of the significant things that happen in our world happen because of day-to-day choices and little tiny actions that people made that led to something big. Not the other way around where something big happened and that changed everybody's little day-to-day actions. Now, there's, a, there's something that I think about when I think about this concept all the time, and it's this frame. This is a frame that I got, I inherited from my dad, and it's a piece of the Berlin Wall. No joke, an actual piece of the Berlin Wall. And above it is a picture of my dad's friend actually chipping this piece of the Berlin Wall off in 1989. It's actually a really cool story. I'll tell you about how I ended up with this frame. But when I think about this concept of the day-to-day things that lead to big changes, I think about this piece of the wall that I have had hanging up in my house. And I think about it because when, you, when some of you know this, this general story, but the idea is that the, the, this wall stood between West Berlin and East Berlin for almost 30 years. And it finally came down in 1989 when my dad's friend George was chipping away at it, and many, many people chipped away at that. And when we think about the history of the Berlin Wall, at least for me, I think about kind of the, the big moments, um, specifically when President Reagan was saying, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Some of you have either seen that on video or you remember when that happened. And when we think about the Berlin Wall, we think about that big moment. But the reality is, is that the Berlin Wall falling was about so much more than just like a few political leaders making a decision at any given moment. We can't ignore all the things that came before that led to that crucial moment. Decades of work and strategy and daily actions that were taken by many, many, many people is what resulted in this seismic change that changed the face of a country, changed the face face of our world in a lot of ways. 
And on a part of the Berlin Wall that still stands, there's some little pieces of it that are still there, there is a quote that's written. I'll put it up on the screen. Adam, I'll put it up on the screen for you. It says, Many small people doing many small things in many small places can change the face of the world. Many small people doing many small things in many small places can change the face of the world. And long before that wall came down, there was like a reformation that was rumbling in the hearts of so many people. And it drove them to do many small things in many small places over and over again. And then it resulted in something as huge as this monumentous occasion. And it's in those small things, it's in those daily choices, those, those ways that we respond to the rumblings that are happening in our heart that I think our hearts are actually formed. Our hearts are calibrated. They are drawn towards the things of God. They're drawn towards love. Or they're drawn towards anything else but love. Towards fear, towards self-protection, towards so many other things. Anything other than love. Anything other than God. And so I want to look at a passage today where Jesus is making what I would say is a pretty bold statement when it comes to this idea of the condition of our hearts and how the condition of our hearts and our daily rhythms, routines, those things, lead to different outcomes. And it can either result in a heart that's calibrated towards God or a result in outcomes that are calibrated, a heart that's calibrated towards anything but God. So we're going to look at Luke 8, 5 through 15. Um, If you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke 8. Otherwise, we'll have it up here on the screen. And what's happening here is Jesus is talking to a large crowd of people that have kind of gathered from all over the place. And as Jesus often does, he speaks in parable or a story or an illustration to kind of help us understand something in a more full and more broad way. And so this is what's happening here. Uh, Jesus is telling a story. And some of you might have heard this story before, but what I want you to pay attention to, and I noticed this is different for me as this time I, I was reading it, pay attention to what Jesus says specifically about the heart. What does Jesus say specifically about the heart? Luke 8, starting in verse 5. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on the rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up, and it choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, and it came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more that was sown. So let me stop there. I remember hearing this story, this parable, when I was a little kid. And I remember so distinctly uh, the flannel graph. Does anybody remember the flannel graph? Okay, so it was like this, this board with flannel on it, and they would take these little felt pictures, and they'd slap them on there to tell you the story as a kid. And if you missed that, it was a great season in the history of the church. And I'm sorry that it didn't happen for you. And so I remember there being like the dirt on the flannel graph, and then it was like, this is a seed, and they slapped it up there. And like, this is a bird eating the seed. Oh, no. And then like, this is a weed. This is a rock. And they're just like slapping the things onto the flannel graph. And my memory uh, of that time seems to, to feel as though I was learning more about farming than I was about hearts or any other thing. Like, I remember it as like, yeah, man, watch out for the weeds. You gotta pull those up. Like, that's, that's my memory as a kid. And so it didn't totally connect for me as a little one in that moment, even though the flannel graph was riveting. And so I actually think that this is a little bit of how the, the disciples are feeling because they actually asked Jesus, like, what the heck are you talking about? Could you explain that? And so let me read what he says. Picking it up again, the end of verse 8. Whenever he, when, I, when he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And his disciples asked him, what does this parable mean? 
because this is confusing. And he said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that through seeing they may not see, through hearing they may not understand. And now listen, Jesus is going to start describing very specifically what he means by this parable, which is actually really rare for him. He actually oftentimes leaves it pretty ambiguous. So this is what he says very specifically. This is the meaning of this parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in a time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. So do you hear all that language, that really intentional heart language? that Jesus is using there? What is the distinction of a heart that is able to grow the seed well and produce a crop? What is the condition that Jesus notes of a heart that can produce a crop? Put verse 15 up there for me for a second, Adam. What is the condition here? The seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. This idea of a good, a good heart, meaning good soil, not a hard heart, but a soft heart. This heart that is not overcome by the things that are mentioned here, right? A hardness in which the seed cannot grow. A sense of these rocks or these obstacles that come in life that cause a, a, just a distraction and there's no rootedness. Or the sense of these uh, weeds, these things that are other things growing in life that actually take all the nutrients from the soil and the seed can't grow. This is not what a good heart produces, but a good heart, good soil is one that is noble, is good, is described here. And then I want us to pay attention to this word persevering. Persevering. In Greek, this word is hupomane. And in Greek, it, another way to translate it would be just directly is to say steadfast endurance. Steadfast endurance or a sense of constancy. Constancy. And when I think about our hearts and the idea of steadfast endurance and constancy, it brings up to my mind this idea of the daily practices, the daily exercises, the things that keep the soil of your heart in good shape and in a good place. In just a little while after Jesus is saying this, he says this phrase that his family are those who put his words into practice. And he just said, the words are the things, the seeds are the words that are being planted in your life. And the people who are with me are the ones who are doing this, who are putting it into practice, who are letting it grow in their life and in their heart. Jesus is saying, let me kind of sum up what I think he's saying. Jesus is saying that a heart that can grow a crop or a heart that can be productive in life is one that is soft and good coming from practices of love. A heart that is calibrated towards God because of the practices of love or love practices, daily practices that shape our hearts towards love, that shape our hearts towards the words of Jesus. Daily routines, rhythms, habits, practices that pull our hearts towards the person of Jesus, who is the Word made flesh. And this is what Jesus is talking about here. I think it's an important distinction for those of you who have studied this passage before to say that this is about the fact that Jesus is real and it's about this idea of evangelism and whether or not people can commit to who Jesus is as a person. But it is not just about that. It is not just about that. 
It is not just about merely believing that Jesus is real and that's what makes soil good. It is about the heart of anyone trying to hear from a God who is still speaking. It is about the heart of you and me, people who believe that God is still saying something, that God's word is still speaking to us, and those words can either sink in or not. Those words can either cause us to have daily different actions in our life or not. This is what this is about. Yes, it's about choosing Jesus and having an open heart to follow him the first time, but it's actually about choosing Jesus and having a heart that's ready and, and, and able to follow him every single day. So the question that this passage brings up to us is are we living lives where our hearts are soft and good and noble and ready to persevere? Are our hearts steadfast? Is there constancy? Is there going to be a crop, a crop, so to speak? Jesus uses the image of a crop. That a good heart will, and this is how he puts it, yield a crop a hundred times more than was sown. Do you hear the miracle in that? That a good heart will not only grow with as many seeds that are there, but it'll be multiplied supernaturally by God. If the, the ground, the, the soil of the heart is ready for what God wants to grow there, would we describe our hearts as steadfast and constant and persevering? Or would we have to say, as we did a heart audit a few weeks ago, that our hearts are easily swayed and anxious and unsure and fleeting towards different things at different moments? So here's the thing, I, I want to take the rest of our time this morning to, to just have a very serious conversation as I kind of take us to this next place here. The metaphor that Jesus is using here, I think it's the temptation, is to feel like it's kind of like a trite, like a cute metaphor. Like, oh, he's using a farming met metaphor, isn't that cute? It's like the flannel graph, it's cute. But I actually think that this is, is anything but a cute image or a metaphor. I think that this parable is about life and death. Think about it, the time that Jesus is speaking about this, if your land failed to produce crop, what happened? This is a, tr a trick question. If your land failed to produce crop at the time Jesus is writing this, what would happen to people? They would starve. They would starve. And not only the people who are the, the leaders of that farm, but the 30 to 40 to 50 people who lived in that household would go without food or without the, the means that they would get from the food in which they would be able to sell, etc. And so I don't think this is a cute metaphor. I think this is a life or death metaphor. Jesus is saying that hearts that can cultivate love and be about what I am about towards life is what they're going to lead you towards. And I think this is what he means by crops here. The things that will be produced from your life. Jesus also used the illustration of fruit, that disciples produce fruit. And as I think about right now, just kind of where we're at right now as a community, as I think about our city, but even more specifically, as I think about us as Mill City Church, I think that this sense of, of dire urgency that Jesus is expressing this metaphor is just as dire and just as urgent today as it was when he first spoke these words. I think about this, I think about what we're hoping, what is the crop that we're hoping to see in our city, in our church? What do we hope is produced by our lives and our daily actions towards God? What are the seeds that God wants to plant in your hearts? One of my favorite parts about my job as a lead pastor is to look and, and try to identify along with you the seeds that God is planting in your hearts. 
And when I do that, man, I am thrilled. I am so excited to see the seeds that are planted in your hearts, the kingdom things, the things that God is so clearly, as the farmer in this illustration, sowing seeds into your life. Let me just briefly tell you what I see. I see God planting seeds in your life of just wanting to more and more every day see your work differently. To, to be people who see how the kingdom of God and the flourishing of humanity is so deeply connected to the work of your hands on a daily basis, no matter what you do, no matter what vocation you have. I see those seeds being planted in your hearts. I've heard from many of you the seeds that God is spreading in the soil of your heart that is about the deep care and concern for people who are marginalized. I, I think about how you talk about the people who are easily overlooked, people who are experiencing poverty, I've heard you talk about the, the seeds that are planted in your heart to people that are marginalized because of mental illness or other things like that. I've heard so many of you talk so intentionally about your passion for people who are, are being uh, hurt in the refugee crisis or those experiencing homelessness or people who are having certain diseases that kind of outcast them from other people, people who are marginalized in any other way. I see seeds being spread into your hearts all over the place. And when I listen to you, there's story after story from all of you about your neighbors and your coworkers and your family members who you are just filled with a sense of, of deep longing, I would say, for a way to express to these people why the good news of Jesus really is good. Like, I see the seeds of, of longing that the gospel, the good news, would really sound good, and you want to know how to talk about that, and you want people to, to know what it looks like to have freedom in Jesus that you have found to know what it looks like to have hope for the future. I hear that in your lives. It's amazing. And finally, I would say not only in the last few weeks or years, but, but since the beginning of this community, I have seen seeds in so many of your hearts that are scattered in your life that represent your heart and the seeds that God's planting in your life when it comes to racial reconciliation. I have heard over and over this deep desire for there to be deeper and deeper friendships with people who are different than you, who have a different ethnic background than you. I have seen groups of you pursue this passionately. I have heard this over and over. You want to see significant change in our country and in our city. You want to see change in this area in our church. This is what I'm hearing for you. This is, this is what I hear when I, when I listen to you. This is what I see when I look at your lives. You're beginning to step into all of these things actively. And I think Jesus is the one who's spreading those seeds in your hearts. And that's amazing. This is an amazing thing. But in a way, therein lies the tension, right? Because if those seeds are being spread into our hearts, it brings up that question, what is going on with our hearts? Are our hearts ready to grow seeds as significant as those? Will they get rooted? Will they grow? Will they produce a crop that is so important for us to have? I think that the metaphor is pretty clear that we see in this flannel graph kind of idea. Like it's like flannel graph clear, right? Put the, put the picture of the, the different soils up here. The four types of soil, and we're going to dig into this a little bit. That was not, I did not mean that was a, that was, yeah, I said dig into, but I didn't, that wasn't even on purpose. We're going to dig into that more next week. But look at these four types of soil. It's, it's actually super clear what Jesus is saying. Is our heart jaded and unable to allow the seed to sink in because of a hardness? 
Are there other things that are coming up in our lives, like the rocks that don't allow the seeds to take root? The rocks represent circumstances that are so hard and they're so difficult that we just can't focus on anything else. Are the seeds falling among thorns, Jesus says, or weeds that stand for this, these things? And he puts it so clearly. They are, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures and do not mature. Jesus is being so clear here about what keeps us from having finally soil hearts that are ready, soft hearts, soil that is ready for what God's doing to flourish in our lives. And you guys, this is, this is like crucial stuff. This is core stuff. I'm going to have the band come back up as I finish, but I just, I, when I look at all of you and your lives and these seeds that are being planted in your lives, I see God doing some incredible things, some very specific things. And when I look at these things, they are like, some of them are going towards like Berlin Wall type significance. Like, like this, this quote becomes so clear that whether or not there are a few people who are going to do small actions and it's going to lead to actual huge changes, it becomes so real. And it comes down to the daily habits and rhythms and routines in our everyday lives. And I wish, I wish it was more sexy than that. Am I supposed, is it okay if I said sexy? Like, but I do. I wish it was more sexy than like the little choices that we make every day. Because it would be so thrilling, wouldn't it, if it was just about some big commitment or just some moment or some event. But it's not about that. It's not sexy. It's not flashy. It's everyday calibration of our hearts. And that's what I want us to talk about next week. And I just want to close by, by sharing the story from my experience last week. When I heard last week about Philando Castile and his death um, and being killed in St. Paul, I was overcome with a lot of emotions. And I bet there was just a vast array of emotions of people in this room. I'm sure many of you were as well. There's so many fears. There's so many questions. There's so many opinions. If we are facing a situation like we're facing in our city and our country, it's really complicated, isn't it? I don't think anybody would disagree with the complicated nature of these things. But you guys, it's in those moments that we have to look at our hearts and say, what is my gut response? What is my gut emotion when these types of things happen in our world? And let me tell you, when I looked into my heart and said, what is my gut reaction to that experience last week, I recognized that there's a place in my heart where I have been cultivating a sense of care and love and uh, intentionality towards people that are different than me. And so when I heard this, what I felt right away was a deep and profound sense of empathy, specifically for me, specifically for mothers, specifically for mothers. And I made a number of phone calls and sent a number of messages the next day to people who were mothers of African-American sons and who were wives of African-American men and who also many of them are African-Americans as well. And it's not because I could understand how they feel. I don't. I can't. It's not because I didn't think that there was a need for care and concern for what's happening to the police and how that's going on. Of course, there's a need for care and concern there. But it was for me, in my heart, a gut emotion to, to step towards these people who I love. It was a sense of needing to cry because they're crying and mourning because they're mourning and feeling for just a second what it's like to be scared because they feel scared. But you guys, that, 
That happened for me not because of a moment or a day, but because it's taken a long, long time, and it will take the rest of my life to make intentional choices, to listen, to serve, to be willing to follow people of color in my life who have mentored me and led me and taught me, and it'll take the rest of my life to be a reconciler. Not one big event or ten big events or a hundred, but every single day. And if we want to do this, you guys, that's what it takes. And I have a super long way to go in that area. But I'm committed. I'm going to do it every day. And I know some of you want to, too. And not just in that, but in so many areas of our life. So as next week we talk a little bit more practically about what are those ways that we calibrate our hearts, what are those routines and habits and actions that we need to take. We need to start here today with recognizing what kind of soil our hearts are in right now. And as we worship together, let's turn our hearts towards letting God into that and letting God see and be exposed those places of hardness, those rocks and circumstances that are in our lives, those weeds that are squelching the things that God wants to do. Let's be honest with the God who loves us this morning. I want to just close in a time of prayer. And uh, sometimes I think when we're praying and someone's up here praying, it's easy just to feel like you're watching and not participating. And so I just want you, if you, if you resonate, if you agree with what I'm saying, you don't have to say it out loud, but just in your heart, just say, yes, I agree. Because there is something different that happens spiritually when we do that. So let's pray together. If you want to do that out loud, you can. But in your hearts, just if, if that's where you're at, then agree with me this morning. Jesus, we, we declare that you are worthy of our whole hearts. You are worthy of all that we have to give. You are more worthy of our hearts than anything else that our hearts are turned toward. We need your presence, your leadership, your guidance to, to help us to have hearts that are soft. God, we need you to come in and help us to overcome the boulders, the rocks in our lives, the circumstances that throw us off from what you're trying to do. Jesus, you need to come in and you needed to help us weed out these things, this apathy, this, this fear, this anger, whatever it is that keeps us from your love. Help us, Jesus. Because your kingdom is coming in this place. Your kingdom is coming to our city. You tell us we can say, Jesus, may your kingdom come. May your will be done. And you have chosen to use us for that. You didn't need us. You didn't need to plant seeds in our lives, but you chose to because you love us. And God, I know you are so proud of these people. You look at them and you say, these are my sons and my daughters and I love them and I'm pleased with them. And I love them so much that I wanna grow amazing things in their lives. And I know you wanna do this through this church, God, but we with humility come before you and lay our hearts before you. We lay our hearts before this cross where you did everything necessary for us to have new hearts, for us to have hearts that are ready for what you wanna do. God, we pray that we would do that, that we would have those types of hearts so that we would participate in your kingdom in ways that would be multiplied supernaturally by you, where we wouldn't be able to say that it was possible without you, possible without your Holy Spirit. So God, we give our hearts to you, and we'll do it every day if we need to. Soften our hearts, God. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.